You're listening to the sermon podcast of Galveston Bible Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit galvestonbible.org. But mostly, from wherever you're listening, we hope that the Lord ministers to you through this week's message. As Jesus, our God and King, prepared to return back to heaven after completing the mission which God the Father had sent him to the earth to accomplish, that is, bearing his wrath in our place on the cross, he in turn gave his disciples a mission. We'll be looking this morning at the commands Jesus gave his followers regarding this mission, often called the Great Commission. Today is the final message in our short uh, summer series on what we believe. In the first two sermons, we looked at the Apostles' Creed, which is a historic brief summary of what we believe, especially about Jesus. Last week, we began to look at what we are devoted to or committed to. And Jason preached from Acts 2.42, explaining that the followers of Jesus were committed to the teaching of the apostles, to fellowship with one another, to celebrating the Lord's Supper together, and to prayer. In this fourth message, and the final message, we'll look at what is the Great Commission, how the early church engaged in this mission, and how we are to engage in this mission today. Jesus' marching orders to his church are recorded in several places and in several forms in the Gospels and Acts. And we will start by reading Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. So you can go ahead and turn there in your Bible or in your app or on your device if you have it. I think it's a helpful habit to look up the scripture references. Uh, it not only helps us see them in context, but it makes us more familiar with God's Word. Jason also wanted me to mention that I'll be reading from the KJV today, and he also asked that we use it on the screen. Um, just to make it easier for you to follow along. Well, you'll normally see the ESV up there or sometimes the NASB. Uh, here at Galveston Bible Church, we believe in what is known as the verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture. That the Bible was breathed out by God through the authors he had write it and that every word is inspired. However, I'm sure you realize that the authors that God used to write the Bible did not write it in English. So what we have is translations. We have, God has provided some very reliable and well-documented English translations. But no translation is inspired. So I use the KGB as my main translation because it's based on the group of manuscripts that were, have been accepted and used by the church throughout the centuries. So let's read about the Great Commission. We'll start in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And then we'll go to some other passages. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. 
Let's look at Mark chapter 16. Mark is always more concise in everything that he says. And in verse 15 of Mark 16, it says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Let's look at John chapter 20, John's gospel. John 20, 21. I can make my pages turn. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had thus said, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Then in Acts 1.8, as Jesus is ready to ascend back to heaven. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Jesus tells them, first of all, that it's not for them to know when I'm going to come back because they're asking him if he's going to establish the kingdom. But he says in verse 8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. In Acts chapter 10, as Peter is preaching for the first time to the Gentiles, the house of Cornelius, in verse 42, he summarizes the Great Commission in just one phrase, he says, And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which ordained of, was, was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. And in Luke chapter 24, Luke also expresses Jesus' last commands to his church. In Luke 24, verses 46 through 49, And said unto them, Thus it is written, And thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem, till ye be endued with power from on high. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have preserved your commission to us so that we can learn from it. Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand just how important your last words to the church before you went back to heaven 
are and have been throughout history. We pray, Lord, that as we evaluate our lives, that we would find ourselves being committed to your great commission. We thank you, Father, for your faithfulness, for the promises that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at what is the Great Commission? How did the church in the New Testament practice the Great Commission? And how should we obey the Great Commission today? So what is the Great Commission? Well, basically it's reaching out to this lost world with the gospel. King Jesus' final instructions to his church as he prepared to return to God in heaven Jesus tells his church what their mission is in this world. And he gave the church a command, or a series of commands, and a promise. A command to obey and a promise to believe. The command to obey, there are several parts. If we look at Matthew 28 again, first of all, he starts out by saying, all power, and that word for power there is authority. All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. So Jesus' command to go is based on his authority that God has given him over everything natural and supernatural. He has all power in the physical realm and in the spiritual realm. And because we are under Jesus' authority, we have authority to make disciples which is what his commission commands us to do. In John 5, 17, Jesus says, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. And in verse 19, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. So if Jesus limited himself to doing what the Father was doing, how much more are we limited and commanded to do what Jesus is doing? So his authority is what empowers us to obey the Great Commission. Now, in Hebrews chapter 10, it encourages us not to forsake our gathering together. And he, says, and he says, when we get together, one of the things we're to do is to provoke or spur one another on to good works. So I'm going to ask you a question to spur you on. Are you under the authority of Jesus? Are you under the authority of Jesus? Now, spur is the word for a, a sharp stick that they would use to poke the ox to keep them going when they would slow down. So our responsibility to one another is to spur one another on to love and good works. Are you under the authority of Jesus? If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, certainly you're not under his authority. You're under his rule, and one day you'll bow your knee to him, but you're not operating under his authority. And if you're a Christian, 
And if I have known sin in my life, I am not operating under the authority of Jesus. And in so doing, I cannot serve him in the way that he has planned and designed. We need to be under his authority. Jesus said in Luke 6, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Jesus gave the parable of the two houses, the one built on the rock and the one built on the sand. And the difference between the two builders is not what they knew. They both heard the words of Jesus. Jesus said the, rock, the one builder who built on the rock did what Jesus said, and the one who built on the sand did not do it. Obedience to Christ makes the difference in our Christian life between success and failure. We need to be under his authority. So Jesus said, go. Go and teach. And the word for teach there is make disciples. Go and make disciples. Now if you've heard very many sermons on the Great Commission here in Matthew 28, you will have probably heard somebody say, well that really doesn't mean go. That means as you are going, because it's a participle in the original Greek language. And while it's true that that is a participle in the original Greek language, and if we were translating this the word to English, we would say, yeah, going, as you're going. However, it's a special construction in Greek. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I have researched it and read, and the fact is that it means go. It's a special construction uh, that's used in uh, Greek that the participle takes on the form of a verb. So what it means to go is going to be different for every one of us, as it was in the New Testament, which we'll see. But it's active. It's go. It's not passive. Jesus is saying, go and make disciples. So what is a disciple and what does it mean to make a disciple? A disciple is a learner. A disciple is someone who is becoming like his teacher. Not just acquiring facts. Facts are important. We'll see later on. Uh, Jesus commands that in making disciples we teach, which is instruct. So instruction is important. But making disciples about, is about more than instruction. It's about becoming like the person that you're following. So when he commands us to make disciples, he's commanding us to make disciples of Jesus, not disciples of ourselves. However, in order to do that, we also have to model Jesus. Because if we're not modeling Jesus, we can't disciple anybody else to be like Jesus. Matthew chapter 10 says the disciple is not above his master nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. In John 8, Jesus says, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. In John 13, Jesus says, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. So this is what a disciple looks like. 
A disciple looks like his teacher, his master. And that's the idea behind Jesus' command here to the church. Go and engage the world. Engage the world with the gospel. And help people to be like me. So as well as making disciples, Jesus here talks about, in Mark, preaching, proclaiming the gospel. He talks about witnessing. He talks about evangelizing and telling the message, both in Acts 1 and Luke 24. And he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So I'll ask you this, have you been baptized? Jesus commands that we baptize believers who have put their faith in him as a picture of our literal death, burial, and resurrection in Christ when we're born again. So have you been baptized? A lot of people get baptism wrong. That's no reason that we shouldn't do it. Some people believe that you uh, need to be baptized in order to be saved, that, that baptism in fact saves you. Other people believe that you shouldn't even do that at all because you don't want to be misunderstood that you're trying to be saved by being baptized. But Jesus commands it. We should be baptized as a testimony to what God has done in our life. Then he also says in Matthew 28, teaching them. And this word is instructing, to give instruction. And to observe all things I have commanded you. And to observe there doesn't mean to uh, do it. Observe here means to guard it. Like you were sitting and watching a prisoner. That's this word. To guard the things that I have commanded you. So what are those things? Well, certainly included in that would be the gospel itself, which has always been under attack and is under attack today from all sides. The gospel message is clear from Scripture, but we always want to either add things to it or take things away, it seems like. Jesus was God. He was born of a virgin. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. He was crucified and God put the burden, uh, the penalty of our sin upon him, poured out his wrath on him on the cross. He was killed, tortured to death, rose from the dead, and ascended back to heaven for our salvation. There's lots of things that people want to add to the gospel. One thing that is included in the gospel that Jesus mentions here and in other places is repentance. If you're not willing to repent of your sins, you can't be saved. If you don't think you're a sinner, you can't be saved. If you're not willing to turn from your sins, you cannot be saved. And as Christians, we're also called to repent. In fact, most of the references to repentance in the New Testament are to Christians. We're to turn from our sin and turn to God. So those are some of the commands that Jesus has issued in the Great Commission, his charge to the church, his last words to the church. Go and disciple all nations. But there's also a promise in addition to the commands. And the promise is that 
I am with you always, even to the end of the world or the end of the age. Jesus has promised to be with us. And he's promised to be with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And he told them at that time, because the Holy Spirit was not yet given, he said, wait at Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. And that power is not authority. That power is ability or the strength to do something. The Holy Spirit provides us with the ability to do what God wants us to do. So that's the promise that Jesus gave. He will be with us. He's commanding us to do this, but he will be with us as we do. So that's what is the Great Commission. How did the early church obey Jesus' command and engage in this mission? They were devoted to or committed to obey as individual members of the body with different gifts and different callings. As I mentioned earlier, go doesn't look the same for everybody. God has a commitment for each of us to go, but it's not always the same. Here's some examples from the New Testament. Some were called by God to a specific ministry. Barnabas and Saul are an example of that in Acts 13, where the Holy Spirit said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And if you remember, that work was to go and plant churches. They would go to the different cities, they would visit the synagogue, they would tell the Jews all about Jesus, and then when the Jews rejected them, they would go to the Gentiles and tell them all about Jesus, and they planted churches all over that area of the world. That was a specific ministry that they were called to, to go. Some engaged in evangelism as part of their everyday lives after the persecution that happened when Stephen was martyred. It says in Acts 8, 4, therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. So not just the apostles, in fact the apostles stayed at Jerusalem for the most part it seems, not just uh, any kind of a church official, but every Christian who fled Jerusalem because of the persecution, they preached the word wherever they went. An example of that is Philip who went to Samaria, it says, and he preached and there was a great conversion there in Samaria so much that uh, they sent Peter uh, to Samaria to um, see that they had received the Holy Spirit. Acts 11 gives us an example of men from Cyprus and Cyrene telling the message to the Hellenistic Jews at Antioch. Um, so these people who had, they were Jews, they had been converted, they were fleeing persecution, and they came to Antioch and they preached to the Jews there and started a church, which was the church that eventually sent out Barnabas and Saul. Uh, there were some who were given divine appointments. We have examples like, again, Philip. An angel came to him and said, go down to this road by the desert. So he did. And he met the Ethiopian uh, court official there who was who had been in Jerusalem worshiping he was reading the book of Isaiah trying to figure out who the Messiah was now that's a divine appointment 
So Philip explained the book of Isaiah to him in the Old Testament and who Jesus was, and he became a Christian. He trusted in Christ, and he was baptized according to Jesus' instructions in the Great Commission. Examples from the ministry of Jesus. Uh, Andrew, when he found Jesus, then he found his brother Peter and brought him to Jesus. That's where he went. He, he was going to get his brother. Jesus found Philip and told Philip to follow him. And then Philip went and found Nathan, Nathaniel excuse me, and brought him to Jesus. The demon-possessed man uh, at Gadara, when Jesus cast out the demons and they went into the herd of swine and they jumped off the cliff and killed themselves, the, the people of that area were scared of Jesus and they wanted him to leave. Now the man that Jesus had cast out the demons became a follower of Jesus and wanted to go with Jesus. But Jesus says, no, you stay here. You go to your family, to your house, and you tell them what great things. God had done to thee. And the result was that when Jesus came back to Gadara, instead of wanting him to leave, they wanted him to teach them. And they had a lot of people converted there because of the testimony of this man. The woman of Samaria, the woman by the well, Jesus revealed himself to her more than he had to anyone else at that point. He said, I'm the Messiah. And she went and told people that she knew in town. She had a bad reputation, but she went and told people that she knew in town that she found the Messiah. And they came and listened to Jesus, and they told Jesus they wanted him to stay, and he stayed for two days and taught them. So where she was to go was back to the people of her town where she didn't even have a good reputation. So those are some examples in the New Testament, and there's a lot more of how Jesus, how the Lord had people go in different ways. And he has each of us go in different ways. Um, sharing the gospel is described in these passages we read in different ways. Preaching, which is the official uh, public proclamation of the word of God. Evangelizing is telling the good news. And then just speaking the message, just speaking to people about God and about the gospel. So how should we obey Jesus' command and engage in the mission as Galveston Bible Church and as individual Christians? The role of the local church and the role of GBC is to equip individual members to obey the Great Commission with their different gifts and different callings in order to reach out to this lost world with the gospel. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. Paul outlines this here in Ephesians. we'll see that God provides gifted men to the church to equip all of us for the work of ministry. Ephesians chapter 4, 
starting in verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the deceit, by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Paul uses the analogy of the human body. He says that all, all the parts have to work together for the body to be healthy. And the more you exercise those parts, the stronger the whole body gets. And that is the model for the local church. So how are we to engage in Jesus' commands of the Great Commission? Well, we're to be under the authority of Jesus. We are to believe and rely on the promise of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit. As it says in Philippians 2.13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God is the one that causes us to want to do his will, and God is the one who empowers us with the ability to do his will. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. That doesn't mean it's going to be in your comfort zone when you hear that word go. Not necessarily in your comfort zone. We have to obey the command of the Lord. We're to disciple others to be like Jesus, and to do that, we have to be like Jesus. And we have to guard the teaching, guard Jesus' teaching. Let's look at 2 Timothy 2.2. We see here a model of discipleship in 2 Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. <clears throat> Paul says here to Timothy, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So what is the model here? Paul is discipling Timothy who is discipling other faithful men who will be able to disciple other men also. Four levels of discipleship. When we look at discipleship, it's not an end in one person. It's ongoing. It's ongoing. As we follow our mentors and disciplers, we should be discipling others who will be faithful to disciple others. That's how discipleship works. That's how we become more like Jesus. That's how discipleship is intended to operate.
So the Great Commission is King Jesus' final instruction to his church. As he prepared to return to God, the Father in heaven, Jesus tells his church what their mission is in this world, what our mission is in this world. There is nothing more important than Jesus' command to obey and fulfill the Great Commission. This is why it's called the Great Commission. That's why it's been known as that over the years. There's nothing more important than this. This is how we are to reach out to the lost world around us and draw them into Jesus. He gave his church a command to obey and a promise to believe. We're commanded to go to the lost world. We're commanded to make disciples. We're commanded to preach, to witness, to evangelize, to tell the message, to baptize, and to teach and guard the commands of Jesus. So I'll ask you today, the Great Commission. Do you believe the promise of King Jesus that he will be with us until the end of the age? And are you devoted, are you committed to obey his command to reach the lost world with the gospel? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the salvation that you provided in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that that sacrifice is the ultimate sacrifice, and we have no idea what it costs you to provide salvation for us, that we can have a relationship with you. But we thank you, and we thank you that you will be glorified throughout all eternity for your plan to save us, to show your love, to show your justice, to show your power. We pray, Lord, as we go about our week this week, that we would remember your words to us in the Great Commission, your commands and your promise, that we would be faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen.